Yes, it's that time of year again. Of course, we love WKRP all year long, but especially now as we get closer to Thanksgiving and recall that incredibly funny episode. Did you know we have five different WKRP designs, including three different Turkey Drop-inspired ones? Simply go to CincyShirts.com and type WKRP into the search bar and have a look. Use the promo code at the end of this episode to save 20% on your entire order online or in-store. Now, on with the show. WKRP in Cincinnati. This is WCPO FM 1051 on your FM dial, Cincinnati, Ohio. Hi again, everyone, and welcome to the Cincy Shirts Podcast. It's episode 139. Today on our show, Roger Naylor. I had a, a high school sweetheart, and we were very uh, attached to each other, and, and everybody just thought, well, we're going to get married, and my dad was going to get me, help get me a job at General the General Motors plant where he worked, and he was going to co-sign a loan, so we were, you know, so I was going to be 18 with a, a wife, a factory job, and a mortgage. You remember Roger Naylor as Gary Burbank's co-host for a few years when Doc Wolf was off writing cookbooks and such, or from his work writing for area publications like Cincinnati Magazine, The Inquirer, City Beat, and more. Through a serendipitous confluence of events, Roger was able to move to Arizona and fulfill his lifelong dream of living in and writing about the Grand Canyon State. If you've been liking the podcast, you can support it by a PayPal or Venmo. Simply use podcast at cincyshirts.com and chip in whatever you feel is fair. Also, be sure to listen to that special promo code for 20% off near the end of the episode. Now let's talk to Roger Naylor. Cincinnati, Ohio. Cincinnati, Ohio. I come from C-I-N-C-I-N-N-A-T-I, Cincinnati. CincyShirts.com in Cincinnati. Well, um, I was a few minutes late calling because my daughter got her driver's license Friday, and she this is her first day she drove to school by herself, and I thought she'd be home uh. by now, and she's <laughs> not. Oh, hopefully, she just went to get. Uh, she probably went to Starbucks, uh, yeah. to celebrate. But hopefully, uh, that's it. Um. So she'll be home soon. I haven't heard otherwise. So sure. Fingers crossed. Um, okay. So uh, we pro- we might have met once before, but I think you had um, left uh, Gary's show uh, right before I started writing uh, for it. So um, our paths may have crossed. They may not have crossed. I'm not sure. But um, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't remember. I mean, it's pretty much right after I left the, the show, we moved out to Arizona. So it was uh, okay. Um, you know, pretty, pretty quick. I wasn't in Cincinnati for very long after that. Okay. Um, well, let's, uh, I guess, go back to the beginning then. Uh, are you from Cincinnati originally? Yes, I am. Born and raised in uh, Cincinnati and uh, uh, lived there uh, um, uh, for, you know, many years. Uh, it, it all changed for me when I, I decided to go to college. Uh, although mostly it was college was just a, sort of a, a way to get out of the house for me, a, a bit of an escape. 
Um, uh, I didn't have any real plans and, but I applied uh, to a little college called, uh, Northern Arizona university and uh, oh. Flagstaff, Arizona. Okay. And, uh, I always wanted to go West. I was just fascinated with West ever since I was a kid, you know, watching uh, cowboy movies on TV and I, you know, loved all the action and adventure, but I was really in, entranced by those landscapes. And I thought, you know, I got to go West. I got to go see, uh, that part of the country. And, uh, so I flew out to Arizona and it was just love at first sight for me. I just fell in love right away. Uh, too much. As a matter of fact, uh, I was, uh, on the Dean's list, the first semester of uh, college. And, uh, by the second semester, I was on academic probation Yikes! because by, yeah, by then I'd learned I could get up and uh, in the morning and walk to class or I could hitchhike to the Grand Canyon or down to Sedona or up onto the uh, San Francisco peaks or uh, down to the desert or any uh, of a other dozen, a few dozen wonderful places to go. So and I dropped out of college after my first year and spent most of the next uh, four years uh, rambling around, hitchhiking when I didn't have a car, driving when I did, uh, traveling all over the West, but uh, mostly wow. uh, in Arizona. And uh, I knew this was where I was going to live someday. So. Wow, that's pretty cool. Um, so yeah. getting back to the Cincinnati portion of it, yeah. what, what high school, obviously? In the next... uh, S- Sycamore High School. Sycamore, okay. Yeah. Very good. Yeah, I grew up in uh, Pleasant Ridge. Uh, and uh, I always loved that little uh, part of town. And then uh, we moved out to Blue Ash right before I uh, started middle school. So I went to high school uh, there. But uh, when I was back in Cincinnati, when I, I moved back to Pleasant Ridge, uh, and that's where I had an apartment for a while. And when I, I got married, that's where my uh, wife and I bought a house there in uh, okay. Pleasant Ridge. And that's where we lived until we moved out here. So after bouncing around the West for a while, I mean, you when did you wind up back in Cincinnati? Well, uh, I, I kept, uh, basically I would just sort of, uh, <laughs> I was kind of a, a drifter much to my uh, parents' delight. Um, uh, I would uh, work at, uh, odd jobs and until t- I needed money. And then I would, uh, usually I'd end up back in Cincinnati and, uh, I, I could always mow lawns and, uh, do landscaping and, uh, I had a little lawn business that I'd work at for a few months. And then when I had enough money, I'd head back out to West or out to Arizona and hang out until my money ran out and then come back and, uh, and do that all over again and stuff. And then, uh, uh, one year I was uh, kind of looking for part-time work and decided to apply for a job as a bartender and thought that would be an easy uh, job. So I uh, applied at a, a bar down in Clifton called DWI. And uh, the owner there uh, told me that he was interested in uh, starting a comedy night one night a week and uh, talked about his plans and needed somebody to run the show for him. And uh, I said, sure, be happy to. So I started running uh, uh, comedy shows. And that's that kind of became a stumbled into that career for a while so i ended up uh, spending a lot more time in cincinnati so what year are we talking then is this um early ish it's got to be early 80s uh very early 80s uh maybe 80 81 something like that okay because we had flannery on the show a couple weeks ago and uh he started about then but this is probably Post Ray Combs, or is is Ray still around? No, this is this is before Ray. Oh, this before is, Ray. Uh, uh, yeah, this is before Ray. Oh yeah. wow, this was this was kind of the first in Cincinnati, as far as I know, uh, of that kind of comedy show. Kevin okay. Orr was out at the Red Dog Saloon 
but you know, in, in one of those old uh, style acts where it's just him uh, doing piano and comedy yeah. and jokes throughout the evening. But this was the first uh, uh, in Cincinnati that uh, was doing the new kind of thing with, uh, you know, bringing up different uh, comics. And uh, so the owner put an ad in the paper, a classified ad. He had uh, several comics come out uh, that first, uh, you know, the first week. And, you know, we, he had, uh, uh, pinball machines and uh, pool tables in one room. He took them all out, put in a little stage and we started doing a comedy night and it was a hit right from the start. I mean, it really caught on. So it expanded from just the one night to, I think about three nights and we'd use local talent and then started, uh, um, just, you know, local guys for most of the time and then start bringing in, uh, um, uh, some out of town uh, acts uh, from Louisville, Lexington, and eventually from uh, Chicago and uh, Detroit and other places and so forth. And uh, so we did that for about 18 months. And then I kind of uh, moved on to starting setting up other one nighters. Um, uh, let's see, I think a place called Stitches was next. And then uh, um, I. I uh, started booking in Dayton and Louisville and Lexington as well, some one-nighters. And uh, so I would offer, be able to offer the uh, uh, comics uh, friends that I was making from out of town uh, uh, four or five nights uh, uh, worth of work so they could come in. We could pay some pretty decent talent. We had some great guys coming in working for Peanuts, but, you know, they liked the, they liked the stages. They liked the town. So we used to do some down at the – started a little show to play uh, a very fancy restaurant called Mama Francesca's on their night when they were closed. Uh, um, started one a couple of nights down at the Milner Hotel, uh, different places, and then uh, went on into uh, uh, a friend of mine. You, uh, I used to go down to a bluegrass club and uh, over the Rhine uh, back when it was still very uh, uh, sketchy neighborhood called Aunt Maudie's uh, back when I was underage. I guess the statute of limitations has run out by now. Um, and, uh, cause I love bluegrass and, uh, um, just got to know the, uh, owner and the, the, the people down there and stuff. And, uh, we started doing comedy down there. And then when the owner wanted to sell a buddy of mine named Mike Worth bought that place and, uh, we put shows in there and that became, you know, just really, really fun. That was a really magical time because there was nothing down in over the Rhine that time except us and the diner around the corner. And, uh, uh, that was sort of the high point of, uh, of local Cincinnati comedy. I think, uh, everybody has fond memories of those days. Yeah. Um, Flannery was telling us too, that, um, when the cable, uh, comedy show started ramping up, that it's kind of started, uh, hurting business a little bit only because people were like, well, I can, you know, watch that on TV for free. And, but then other people right. were like, well, I can it'd be nice to go out and actually see that in person instead of just watching it on TV. What was kind of your perspective on that? Well, I think it, yeah, it, 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 uh, benefited at first, but then I think it did, uh, have a detrimental effect. It was like anything where, uh, it just became too much of a proliferation. Um, you know, when we were doing it, when I started at, I think, uh, um, at DWI, like I said, we were the first in Cincinnati to be doing that. And then, you know, other chain clubs tried to come in, but they never really lasted very long. There was a, um, uh, a couple of different ones that came in downtown. I can't remember. And then Ray Combs tried to start a, a club and it lasted for a while, but, uh, not, not too long. The funny bone came in and, and held on pretty long, 
Um, but uh, yeah, it kind of got, you know, I mean, one of the things that made it nice about locally is that I, I, I knew my town. I, I, I knew the acts I was bringing in. They were friends of mine. I knew who would work here and uh, which guys didn't do so well and so forth. And, uh, you know, it was all very tailored uh, to the local audience. And we, I always worked in – I like small, intimate places because I think that just works best for comedy. And uh, you get that kind of energy rocking the the house, and it's just very memorable. And You know, we used to do a lot of quirky things. Like I started at Mama at – one of the things I started at Mama Francesca's and continued at Aunt Maudie's is I had cans of Play-Doh on each of the tables. And we'd have a Play-Doh uh, uh, sculpting contest with picking the winners at the end of the night. And, you know, we used to have little games and toys out for people to play with uh, during the – the thing and stuff. And it was just, you know, goofy. We'd just do goofy stuff. One night we had crepe paper tie night and, and everybody was given a piece of crepe paper when they came in to make a scarf or a tie or an ascot. And, you know, you're, so you're up on stage doing your act and everybody's sitting around wearing crepe paper ties. And it's just, you know, goofy little stuff, but people really kind of bought into it. You know, we had name tag night, and all this kind of weirdness and stuff. So it was very personal. Uh, and, you know, I think that that worked really well. But but, uh, you know, the, the town can support, you know, a, a club or two. But then they're, you know, uh, when three or four big clubs start opening and start trying to do a franchise and they start trying to do six and seven nights a week. And, you know, it just uh, it just got to be a little too much. And with the saturation of it on television that, uh, yeah, you just uh, it just kind of got burnt out, I think, there in the, uh, the later 80s. So where was DWX? It's come up on the show a couple of times, uh, Josh has mentioned, even though it predates Josh's starting in stand-up, uh, and it does come up in Cincinnati comedy history. Like It was in Clifton, but whereabouts? Uh, boy, I can't. You know, It's been so long since I've been down there, I don't remember the name of the street. And I, I, would, I would recognize the building probably, but I don't know what's there. Was it close to it's, campus? I, or? It, it was close to campus, yeah. If you're going down, um, what, what's the main drag as you Calhoun? get off of yeah Calhoun I'm pretty sure it's is just right on Calhoun there uh on the left um okay it had been something else but yeah it was right on Calhoun so it's, it's right on the it, main it's probably long gone because right they, they've they've redeveloped all but one block of that down there oh okay. so when you, when then, you first yeah, approach when you first the university proper there the Kroger is still there but they rebuilt it and then there's uh there used to be a McDonald's on the corner and a CVS, and the McDonald's is long gone. They tore that down almost uh, right after I moved here in the 90s. But then where that oh. block starts, where the university is, they left one block because the guy that owns a record store told me uh, that they purposely left that just so they'd have one block of the original architecture of the area. But all the rest going all the way down towards uh, the high school is uh, has all been completely redone. So, Holy cow! Yeah, yeah, then I probably it's a lot nicer. Yeah, it's yeah. a lot nicer than it used to be. I <laughs> <laughs> never really realized until you go down there. I think the same thing happened at the University of Pittsburgh. You don't realize how nice it is until you remember. Oh, this used to be kind of cruddy down here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah it definitely had a um, you know a, a, a flavor to it. That's yes, for sure. yes, yes. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, because um, I looked at um, we uh, we have a sister site and we do. Uh, uh, shirts for other cities and uh, i used to live in pittsburgh like i said and um i was trying to find out where this one place used to be and so i google street viewed it and i'm like w- am i on the right street i didn't recognize anything and then finally i saw the um th- uh, three dorms they used to call the, the the abc towers ajax borax and comics they were shaped like three cans of cleaner and i'm like well, i'm in the right place but everything is gone 
So it's just wow. interesting how things develop like that. But we digress. I was going to ask, um, so when you start writing these shows, are you hosting? Are you featuring? Are you eventually headlining? What, what's kind of like your trajectory through stand-up? Well, I I had no uh, interest in stand-up. I mean, I'm one of the few guys that just kind of stumbled into it. I just was not uh, – I just had no fear about being on stage. Um, at that time, you know, I was a writer. I'm, I've always been a writer. Okay. Um, I, I, I knew I was going to be a writer from the time I was 13 when I first picked up a, a book of Mark Twain's uh, essays and started reading them. And I thought, this is what I'm going to do. So, you know, I, I always wrote – and at that time, you know, when I'm in my early 20s, I'm writing uh, kind of weird, you know, short stories and poetry. And um, and this was long before Poetry Slams or anything like that. But we'd still have poetry sessions where you'd go up and you'd stand up in front of people and read your stuff. And most of it was, you know, a lot of the poets were kind of what you expect poets to be and uh, kind of typical reading dry. And I would kind of act mine out. You know, my, mine were always, you know, because I was always big on humor. I liked writing humor because I grew up reading Mark Twain and stuff. So I was uh, uh, kind of act them out. And uh, uh, Don Maris, the owner of DWI, when he was hired me at Bartender, came around to see me give a, a reading one time and he really loved it and he said you know would you be interested in hosting the show and i said sure no problem so because i had no problem about standing up in front of people but i absolutely had no interest in comedy whatsoever and uh doing it so i just ran the shows at first and i always <laughs> our first night there um you know i get went up and uh introduced and uh went up and i told i talked to everybody about it you know just just the other day, just yesterday, we had pinball machines in here and pool tables, and now we're doing the uh, starting a comedy show, starting something brand new, and we're so excited about it. And I introduced the first guy, and he was this real energetic guy, and I thought, hey, he's going to be great. And he got up, and he starts into a joke, and he just freezes. <laughs> I mean, just completely freezes. I've never seen any – in all the years I did comedy afterwards, I've never seen anybody do that since but he just froze and i'm looking at the owner and he's looking at me and i'm starting to kind of inch towards stage and then the guy breaks out of and starts talking again i go okay oh thank goodness this is part of his act and huh. he goes uh, uh, about another 30 seconds or so and he just freezes again and he just is motionless he's a mannequin on stage so everybody's just staring at him and i just get up I kind of inch over towards the stage and I get up on stage and I touch him. I just barely kind of touch him. And he just goes, thank you very much. And runs off, and runs <laughs> out of the room, never to be seen or heard from. And so I'm standing there on the stage and the room was packed with people. And so I do my first improv line. I go, well, I guess tomorrow we'll have the pinball machines and pool tables back in here and stuff. And everybody cracks up and, and then, you know, I went in ahead and I introduced the next guy and, you know, we went on. So, so for years, all I did was host the shows, and I would just host and host and run the shows and try to make sure that everything ran smoothly and stuff. And I always liked that. Um, and then the last few years, I kind of got to the point where I thought, you know, hey, I want to make some money at this. So I just kind of started going out as an act. I, I, start, I featured for just a little while, and then I started headlining shows. And so I toured for about four years around the country uh, doing comedy, a lot of the Funny Bones and Knuckleheads and uh, different uh, uh, different clubs, yuck, mostly yuck. in the Middle West, but uh, out West some. So I did that where I was on the road about four years. And then that was right before I started with uh, at the Gary Burbank show. Okay. So it actually gave you an excuse to head back out West. Did you kind of concentrate more on 
on that and think, well, I could kind of kill two birds with one stone here to, to make some money doing comedy and being out west. Yeah, that's, you know, one of the things I really enjoyed about it is that, you know, I got to see some, uh, 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 got to travel back. It gave me an excuse to do that a few times. And then I get to see some parts of the country I probably wouldn't have gone otherwise. You know, I did a couple of weeks down on St. Martin's. I did a, a week up in Anchorage, Alaska. I did a couple of weeks in Hawaii. You know, so it was nice to have those kind of things paid for as opposed to, you know, because I probably never go on my own. So I'm glad I got to see some places as well. But, uh, uh, yeah, you know, it was uh, his again, it, it, I enjoyed it, but it was always just a job with me. I mean, I, I, it was so weird being right, uh, talking to so many comics and interacting with them. There, You know, so many of them were so passionate about it or so driven about it and and. I just thought, well, you know, I just I go up and I do it and then I I'm done and that's it. And I was still writing. I was still writing for radio shows and I was writing for radio service at the time and I was writing for some oh, yeah. uh, alternative Would... papers and magazines around. Oh. So it was just kind of giving me an excuse to, uh, you know, make some money while I was still uh, writing and kind of keeping my hand in creatively. So what radio services did you write for? Because I wrote for a few back in the day. Oh, gosh. What was that called? The American Comedy Network. Yeah, Com- I wrote for them. A- ACC a- or ACN? ACN, or- American Comedy Network. Okay, yeah, They're in Boston. For them for- yeah, yeah. Yeah, for a while, and there was another smaller one. I can't. Uh, uh, Morning gosh, Sidekick. Now we're, go- we're going back about 35 yeah. years now. Morning Sidekick in Denver was one. And there was another yeah. one in the East that I don't remember. They were around for, I was with them for about a year, and then they finally called it quits. And that was like in the 2000s. But I was just curious because mm. I uh, I did that too. Um, yeah, people don't realize when you hear a, a funny song or a funny commercial on your local radio station, it's a very good chance that that was produced outside of town. Not always. I know. Uh, but yeah. yeah, especially back in, I mean, it was for a while. It was, you know, the money was pretty decent and uh and that's also how I, you know, when I started writing for uh, some of the alternative papers and, and when yeah. we first moved out to Arizona, that's what I was doing. And that's when back when, you know, every town had three and four alternative papers and stuff. So oh, yeah. it was really nice. I just write a, a column uh, once a week and send it out and might get picked up by 50 or 60 papers or something. So, and you know, I just get a little check from all of them. So it was, it was pretty cool. Yeah. Funny thing about the uh, radio service thing, when I first started trying to do freelance writing, um, I bought, of course, bought one of those books to tell you know where where can you sell your writing and i remember reading the one thing where the the fella says oh well uh, you, uh comedy writing is big you can write for these radio services and he's explaining that. and when you hear a funny radio a, a parody song on a radio station that's something a writer got paid 500 dollars for and i'm like nah it's a little south of that <laughs> by the time i started doing it it's about a it's about a tenth of that sir but but thank you yeah um so i just thought that was funny that they that the way they see it that way so uh back to the comedy for a second before we get to the, yeah. the Burbank show. So, were you featuring or headlining? How far up did you did you get? Like, oh, um, I, yeah. I, when I went on the road, I was headlining. Okay, so cool. I featured around kind of locally and mm-hmm. regionally for a little bit. You know, I'd work uh, uh, Kentucky and Ohio and a couple places just because. I mean, by the time I decided to do it, I'd been I'd spent so many years on stage and kind of you know hosting between acts. But uh, you know, by then I developed a pretty solid act or at least uh uh you know i developed enough material and all my material was uh, even though i was a a writer in uh, in reality uh i never liked writing jokes i never like you know just about everything i wrote on stage was created on stage i just like to ah. 
you know, that's just kind of how I worked because I started out hosting. So I was always talking to people. I was always, you know, people, someone had a birthday. So I talked to them or uh, people knew, you know, there's my show. They'd come week after week after week. So I got to know them. So we talk. And so, so much of what I did on stage was just very free form and loose. But after a while you start, you know, you do that enough and you develop an act. So, so I featured for just a very little short period of time and then just started headlining and went out. So I was going to ask, yeah, how did that affect your writing or how did the, was your writing influenced by comedy or vice versa? Because I know when I kind of started trying to write jokes, you immediately learn how you've got to, I mean, and that's really what writing is, economizing words and, and things like that, but especially in that, be it either for radio or for uh, the stand-up stage. Yeah. Uh, well, probably, I, I probably wrote less in, it was probably the least productive time in my life while I was doing stand-up, um, as far as writing goes, because it just, you know, it kind of takes your energy, you know, uh, you get to a town and, um, you, you basically, usually they, they'll have you do a, a couple of morning radio shows, sometimes an afternoon show or whatever. And then you kind of get in this rhythm where you, you have to be peaking, uh, you know, it is, you know, in the evening, you have to be like at your very best, most energetic at nine o'clock at night. And this is back when they're still doing three shows sometimes on Saturday night, they'd still do a midnight show. So you're doing a, you know, a couple shows a night, sometimes three. And so you end up taking naps during the day and, and then, you know, uh, so you just kind of, cons- uh, I just found myself kind of conserving my energy, not having a lot of energy for other types of writing besides just kind of focusing on what I do. So when I look back, you know, I didn't realize it at the time, but when I, cause you know, I felt like I'm being creative every night and always working on something and crafting something. When I look back on it now, I go, eh, you know, I was, I was trying to be good at my job and do it, but as far as other writing or the type of writing I would do later on it, it i really didn't do it it, it really um comedy just kind of drains you so when did you get when out of the comedy full-time. business i'm sorry so when did you get out of the comedy business <sighs> well it was right uh when i started you know in fact that's uh, one of the reasons i uh contacted gary about uh getting with the show and i i remember i was just getting kind of tired of it just because it was getting to be such a grinder um, and I always remember I'd done a show in, uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico at a club and it had gone pretty well, a pretty good week. And, um, the owner hadn't, wasn't there, hadn't been there, but, uh, he wanted to, uh, me to call back and, you know, reschedule something, uh, when he could be there. So uh, a few months after my performance, I was, I'd called him to see about getting, uh, you know, rebooked there because uh, I was always looking for more Western outlets. And uh, he starts talking. He's like, well, I don't know. What I heard is it didn't go so well. And he starts telling me about, you know, what about this incident and that incident. And I realized he's talking about something else, somebody else, because none of it happened to me. It wasn't he's got me mixed up with someone else. And I start to correct him. And I'm kind of going in my head screw it. I don't care. <laughs> and I just, okay, well, thanks. And I hung up and I called my wife right from there. And I said, I got to get out of this damn business. And, uh, so I sat, I was on the road. I think I was in little rock at the time, uh, working there. And I wrote a couple of letters, um, uh, to one to Gary, one to Cincinnati magazine and saying, look, you know, I, I'm 
kind of I want to cut back on comedy. I'm going to start working more in Cincinnati. So let me know. If, um, you know, if you've got anything available and both of them responded favorably, I started writing for Cincinnati magazine, uh, Gary, you know, had me stop around, uh, visit his show. I, you know, I just stopped in as a, a guest comic and that was always a blast. And the next thing I know, as soon as I do that, he's going, Hey, we're going on vacation. Me and doctor are going on vacation. Why don't you host the show next week? Like, what? And but the, lo and behold, that happened. So I hosted the show for several weeks while he was gone, along with someone who actually knew how to run a radio board and stuff, and uh, did that, and then kind of got incorporated into the show. And so that was. Let's see. You asked. The, I'm sorry. I kind of got a long roundabout way. So I ended my comedy career right as about as I started with Gary. And so I worked for about two years at Gary and then moved out to Cincinnati. And that's been 25 years ago. So that's been, we're going back like 27 years when I, or so when I got out of comedy. Okay. Well, we have an update. The new driver's back safely. And she's oh, back. good. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, okay. Can I do, take care of this after the interview? How, how long are you going? Until four. No, I got it. Okay. Well, I don't know what, you can grab one can of the, grab the high top? yeah, grab a high top. We're recording live from PF's basement, everybody. Okay, she's going to grab a table to do her homework on up in our spare room. All right. Try not to make too much racket. Okay, so anyway, um, so yeah, you, I, I, so I first heard of you. Um, we had a mutual friend, uh, Jim Lugers, and I guess you gotten Jim the gig uh, doing some voices, including famously the uh, James Earl Jones, This is the BBC. Uh, oh, yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So that was uh, how I'd first... And then I, you kind of like became the co-host because uh, Doc took some time off to um, to promote his cookbooks. Well, yeah, actually, Doc left for a, a while. Um, and, uh, yeah, so they kind of put me in that role of producer. And as much as I love Gary and love the show and stuff, that was not a good fit for me. I mean, you know, because on the one hand, all of a sudden, I'm, you know, I'm always i'm always kind of the uh, a, a comic i'm always in that role i i know that role i do a little do some writing and i can write and be a sidekick and all that and then all of a sudden now i'm kind of the producer as well and that was uh that was something i didn't know too much and so it was not necessarily a real good fit so um so was damien uh, there when you were there uh, yeah, he came on uh, afterwards. Okay, yeah, because it uh, so seems I worked like with him. He is a great guy. Yeah, it seems like um, Gary kind of expanded and, the staff then too, because I think um, yeah. by the that's one, when he was going national. He was trying to. He was, oh uh, yeah, he yeah. Got syndicated for a while. Again, that's how I was able to afford to hire a, a couple of us writers because I you had already gone by the time I had uh, turned up because Damien left about the same time you did, I think, and then he pulled Rob in, and then Rob pulled me in. And that's how it, it all kind of went. But it seemed like Rob was strictly the producer, and Doc was back, and he didn't have to worry about producing anymore. Neither did Leah. Leah's had to run the board, and everybody had kind of. Yeah. It seemed to be divided up a, a lot better. But it sounds like it was a lot more work for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know, again, work that I wasn't interested in, and also didn't know. You know, I mean, I uh, it was just a really unfamiliar. Uh, situation for me, an unfamiliar gig. And, and it kind of, instead of saying, you know, sitting down specifically and saying, well, this is going to be your role, or this is going to, this is what we need you to do or something. It kind of kept evolving because every, you know, um, everything was kind of changing at that time with him about to go syndicated and bringing new people in and stuff. So we're kind of learning it on the fly. And uh, so I think, 
you know, where it was, it was kind of a rocky time, you know, it was always, you know, such great people, such wonderful people to work with and stuff. But, um, you know, most, uh, most of them had, uh, more of a background in radio and, and actually, and actually doing some of this stuff. And, you know, I'm just a guy who, who made jokes and, you know, did a little writing and stuff. And so I was kind of drawn into that and I was not necessarily, uh, 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 the perfect fit for it, but you know, good memories. And I'm glad I got to a chance to do it and stuff, but it, uh, um, was, you know, the last, the last final step before I took, uh, went on my career path. So, so, uh, were you able to do a lot of writing on the show, uh, like you were doing for the radio services or? Did oh you- yeah. Yeah. I was writing, you know, and that, and that was a drain cause you, you gotta be, uh, we come in just about every day with a bit, you know, with a, a couple of bits or uh, uh, some, you know, live talk subjects, some, uh, you know, little uh, phone quizzes, some, you know, whatever and stuff. And yeah, so that was, that was pretty exhausting. You had to feed the beast. Yeah, yeah. Because man, you know, when you're doing four hours uh, a day, it just, you know, because that was the thing. Oh, yeah. You know, when at least when he was still, when it was still just WLW, you had the baseball season. So you had, you know, big time off and, you know, uh, interruptions. See, I never got to do any of that. So it was all just syndicated. So that meant four hours every day that, you know, had to go out there, you know, day in and day out, you know, five days a week. So yeah, it was, uh, uh, very draining. Do you remember any favorite bits that you wrote? What's that? Uh, do you remember any favorite uh, bits? No, you know, I mean, he the, he still put out some of the, you know, he was putting out albums and, uh, I mean, the tapes and stuff. And uh, so, you know, a lot of my stuff is recorded stuff, but I really don't remember that much. I mean, I, you know, I'd write a lot of, for his characters, I did a lot of Earl Pitts and, and uh, um, Gilbert Gnarly and um, just, you know, the fake commercials and different ones and stuff. So, uh, um but yeah, no, I don't uh, remember any specific ones that, that really grabbed me. But yeah, if you uh, can ever come across any of those old cassettes, you'll you'll hear some and see some. I think I have a, a couple because they gave me a big stack of them when I got hired and said, uh, here you go. This is the kind of stuff we're looking for and have at it. And then, of course, I got them, you know, every year we got them for free for, you know, writing on the show it was one of the things we got so yeah I'm, i probably have some roger naylor comedy uh somewhere back on yeah. those um so you uh you said you right shortly after you left the burbank show you decided we're heading to arizona we're loading up the truck and well yeah i you know i always knew that arizona's where i wanted to live you know i mean uh, i knew i was going to be a writer since i was 13 i knew i was going to live in arizona since i was 18 uh, but I never, you know, I didn't, I was still kind of figuring out how to, what kind of writer I wanted to be. Cause since I never finished college and I didn't really feel like a journalist, I didn't feel like a novelist. I wasn't sure, but I knew I just, I, so I was always writing and I was just kind of trying to get where I wanted to go. But, uh, but I knew it had to be, uh, Arizona. When my wife and I got married, I took her out to Arizona honeymoon, spent 10 days going all over the state. I said, this is where we're going to live someday. Every vacation we would take would be to Arizona. We kept looking around and, and scouting around. I would sometimes just go out by myself because I was, you know, I had to be out hiking in the desert. And um, so she kept, she was the one who kind of kept saying, look, you know, you're never going to be happy until you're out there. And, uh, but it, to me it was, I, and I knew that was true, but it was also a little scary, you know, cause I mean, I was, uh, 
a little bit of a celebrity in Cincinnati. You know, I could always make a living in Cincinnati. You know, I'd done radio, I'd done television. I, you know, I was writing for Cincinnati Magazine. I was writing for the Cincinnati Enquirer Times. I was writing for City Beat and Everybody's News, all the little alternatives. I was writing for Ohio Magazine. Um, uh, you know, I could always make a living there. I had enough of a reputation to do. And so the idea of giving all of that up and moving across the country and trying to make a living as a freelance writer, it was, it was scary. So I was a little reluctant and I was just very fortunate to be married to a wonderful woman who believed in me, who kept saying, you'll make it, you'll succeed, you'll, you'll do fine. I, I, I trust you. So, um, I finally said, yeah, let's, let's go. So, you know, I told Gary it would be leaving. And I think that's when, you know, he started, he'd started, you know, Doc had started coming around and doing some of the right, helping out with a little bit of the writing. Uh, so I think he, Doc came back into the role and, you know, I left, we, we drove, uh, flew out to Cincinnati, spent a couple spent a week, picked out a house, bought it, flew back, picked everything up and drove, uh, drove out to Arizona, moved in 25 years ago. And it's just been the happiest, the best decision I've ever made. So, so. that's cool. Um, did yeah. you ever like worry maybe out in Arizona thinking maybe I'll run into a comedy club in Phoenix and pick, make a couple of bucks or did you, were you able to get your career rolling pretty quickly? I mean, cause if you have experience in Ohio, like, like you said, you were, you were a known commodity here, but it's been my experience. So once you can d- demonstrate to people, because uh, that's how I've gotten gigs and papers around the country. It's like, well, I wrote for, you know, written for City Beat for 20 years and for Cleveland Scene. Then they're like, oh, okay, well, you can do this. And I mean, that must have made it a little bit easier. Well, yeah, I, I, but I had no interest in doing comedy again. I kept a few gigs that first year um, that I traveled to from Arizona just to make sure I had some income coming in. Um, I was fortunate to kind of land with a Bob and Tom show. Uh, just as I was, uh, getting ready to leave, I just started writing for them just before he moved out to Arizona. And that became a really blessing because, uh, they paid pretty well and he, they were just going syndicated at that time and needed a lot of new material and stuff. So I was really cranking it out and coming up with a lot of new characters and uh, stuff for them. So that became, uh, you know, a nice steady paycheck and I was writing, still writing for some of the alternative papers. When I first moved out, I started uh, uh, just, again, contacting since, you know, I kind of knew the alternative paper circuit a little bit. And they were still thriving pretty well back then. Um, uh, and I just started writing humor columns uh, once or twice a week. And I would send them out to uh, various newspapers, uh, the little alternative papers around the country and uh, you know, and it, it, each week it would just depend on, uh, you know, sometimes a, a handful might buy, sometimes 50 or 60 uh, papers would snap them up. Um, you know, I could kind of tell which, you know, I knew my holiday themed stories would always be big. Uh, any seasonal stuff was always big. Um, the, uh, my year in pieces got really huge for, for a few years. People really, you know, started contacting me beforehand to make sure I was just doing them and a uh, year in review pieces and stuff. So, so I did that for, uh, several years and, you know, and just really enjoyed it. I was pretty good at it. Just, you know, writing pop culture, politics, anything that, uh, seemed, uh, fun to do. Uh, but in the meanwhile, in the meantime, I'm living such a great life. You know, I'm just doing, I'm in Arizona full time now and I'm just rambling around. I'm hiking every day. I'm, 
uh, exploring all these different beautiful spots that I just loved. I'm eating burgers and little diners, and I'm just having so much fun. I thought, this is what I want to write about. This is the stuff that I really want to, to write about. And so I uh, pitched a couple of stories to uh, Arizona Highways Magazine, and lo and behold, they bought them right away. And pretty soon I'm writing cover stories for Arizona Highways Magazine. Then I start with the Arizona Republic, the uh, the main newspaper, statewide newspaper out of uh, Phoenix, and uh, they just love my uh, stuff. And uh, almost right out of the gate, I'm writing the uh, lead travel feature, statewide travel feature, you know, like three times or four times a month for them. And uh, that's been going on for, you know, for about the past 13 or 14 years. And uh, um, I start writing for uh, these different websites around the state, you know, Sedona, uh, the city of Sedona hires me to write content for their website. And then I start writing for the all the visitor guides, the official Arizona visitor guide, the Sedona visitor guide, the Scottsdale, Yuma, Tucson, all of them want me to write content. And it just uh, kept growing and growing. Then I started with books and, you know, I've cranked out a whole bunch of books in the last uh, uh, few years. And it's just been, uh, it's turned into a very successful uh happy career i was inducted into the uh, arizona tourism hall of fame in 2018 uh, in 2019 when the grand canyon national park turned 100 years old they hired me to write their official uh, centennial magazine the big 56 page glossy magazine that they they give away for uh, uh to their to visitors and and uh, so forth and uh, this year, I was just in uh, the Verde Canyon Railroad, uh, the number one excursion train in the state, hired me to be their narrator. and uh, So I, I'm the voice of the train now. And uh, just last week, oh, wow. my most recent book, or the one that I just had another one come out, but the, the one from last year on Arizona State Parks won the uh, New Mexico, Arizona 2020 the 2020 Arizona New Mexico uh, book award is best travel book. So it's just turned into a, uh, you know, I've been very fortunate that I uh, managed to combine the two great passions in my life with uh, uh, writing in uh, Arizona. And it's all because of the third passion in my life, my wonderful wife who believed in me and supported me. So uh, what would you have done if you'd gotten out to Arizona that first time with her? And she would have said like, I hate it here. <laughs> <laughs> well, we would have we would have divorced, but we would not have made it by then. And I I made that pretty clear. I think, uh, um, in fact, that's one of the places I first took her. I, and I've written about this in the past. I thought, you know, this is if she didn't fall in love with this uh, particular place, this particular trail, it was time to split the wedding gifts up and go our separate ways and stuff. But I was fortunate; she she really did uh, she really did love it. Yeah, my wife and I accidentally found out we both like uh, the similar parts of Florida, really the same part of Florida. So we we think we've got that sorted for our retirement. But we did take a trip out to Colorado last year and to see a concert at Red Rocks, and she loved it. We went up to what uh, Estes Park, and she loved. She was like, "I want to live here. This is where we have to retire to." And the day we left Denver, it was. Like in the 80s when we got there, we left. It was literally a blizzard. We had to leave two hours early to the hotel to yeah. get to the airport. <laughs> and she goes, I don't care. I want to live here. And I'm like, nope. I mean, it's yeah. nice. I want to go back to another concert there. But uh, no, we're still. I'm sticking to the beach, man. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, well, that's one of the things that I, I love most about Arizona because when I flew out, I flew to Flagstaff, which is 7,000 feet up in, in, uh, in elevation. And it's surrounded by the San Francisco Peaks, the highest uh, mountains in Arizona, up to 12,633 feet. So it's, uh, it's high country, and I just loved it. I thought, and I thought, this is what I want. I want this high co- elevation life. But, yeah, as I've gotten older, you know, the they also get a hundred inches of snow up there, and I thought, you know, I've I had enough snow in my life in Cincinnati, and uh, um, one of the great surprises. I mean, I always liked the desert uh, very much in Arizona, and I was always, you know, fascinated by it. But I never quite thought I'd fall under its spell like I did, and uh, now I'd rather be hiking in the desert. Uh, than just about anywhere, you know, hiking among the Sororos, it's, you know, 105, 110 out, and I'm just happy as can be, you know. So it's it's gotten uh, even worse for me now. I, I need the heat. I need the sun. I need, uh, you know, I'm sure my blood's so thin. You know, I mean, yeah. if we, we, we start putting on sweaters if it's, you know, down in the uh, drops into the 60s. Oh, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. My, my brother so. lived in uh, – Central Florida for years and years, and my father's still down there. And they, yeah, if it's in the seventies, man, they'll they'll be wearing a long sleeve jacket and long pants, and yeah, it's it's funny. And <laughs> I can't wait to be that way myself. But um, uh, so I can't remember what you said at the beginning. Did did why did you choose Northern uh, Arizona State University? Was it just on a whim, or did you kind of sense you would like it out there, or did they? Well, I, I knew I wanted to go west. Okay. Um, I was always fascinated with the west. So I That's knew right. I was okay. going to go west, but I couldn't afford anything in California or Oregon. They're very uh, expensive. Okay, I see. So um, uh, this little – the one in uh, Flagstaff, NAU, at that time – and because it's it, it sort of a whole backstory with uh, – uh, at the time I was kind of – I had a, a high school sweetheart and we were very – uh, attached to each other and, and her parents really loved me and my parents loved her and everybody just thought, well, we're going to get married. And my dad was going to get me, help get me a job at general, the general motors plant where he worked and he was going to co-sign a loan. So we were, uh, going to get married out of high school. And, um, you know, so I was going to be 18 with a, a wife, a factory job and a mortgage. And everybody kind of assumed this was the path we were on, and they were all kind of for it. Um, but, you know, both my parents and her her family, my family, are both from deep backwoods, Kentucky. And that's just sort of how, you, you know, you got married young and you started working right away. And um, it wasn't what I had in mind for myself. And I remember we were at my girlfriend and I, and she's a sweetheart, an absolutely wonderful uh, girl. Um, but we were at a, uh, a store one time, and I remember looking across the store and seeing her try on engagement rings. <laughs> and I thought, uh, I got to get out of here. I can't breathe. I got to go. And so I didn't tell anybody because I hadn't told anybody about going to college. But, you know, when you're a high school senior, you, you collect all these brochures and pamphlets you got off. They give them all to you. And yeah. Stuff. So I had them around. So I applied to NAU without telling anybody, uh, not even my parents or anything. And it was already I sent it in. It was six days past the deadline. It was already uh, uh, the deadline had passed. Um and so I figured, well, it's, it's got no chance, but, um, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes. But the, the main thing is that it was affordable. You know, I had a, a couple of thousand bucks in the bank at the time just for mowing yards. 
and working at a gas station as a kid and stuff. And I could actually pay for an entire year of college just out of that. I mean, those were the days. But um, and I could go there cheaper than I could have gone to UC. Even. So, but I just wow. needed to get out of town. And uh, so all of a sudden, I remember a buddy and I were uh, we went camping down in the Smoky Mountains for a couple of days at the end of August. And we came, I dropped him off and I drove back home and I'm heading out up the driveway to uh, my uh, parents' house there. And my mom is standing out on the porch holding a letter. And as I walk up, she goes, you have a letter here from Northern Arizona University. Is there something you want to tell me? And it turned out I'd been accepted and nobody had even known I'd applied. And I had to be there before the end of the week. Oh, wow. So it was just chaos. You know, everybody's uh, my dad's all outraged and upset. My mom's worried. My little sister's in tears. My girlfriend's confused. I'm packing in a hurry, throwing everything together. I get on a plane, airplane for the first time time in my life fly across the country we landed in denver and had like a five-hour layover and i remember sitting at denver airport for like the whole five hours just gazing at the rocky mountains out the window it was just so it was fantastic to see for the first time and they landed in uh, flagstaff and we took a little crop duster plane into flagstaff and got in that night and i stepped off the plane and smelled that pine scented air for the first time and in the morning i saw the outline of the san francisco peaks rising overhead and just thought this i'm home this is where i want to be so so it was, it was kind of an escape a two-pronged escape i wanted to go out west and then i needed to get out of there that's cool it's, it's so interesting how that it just called to you like that you know how the west uh, you know, you you read about that in all those Western novels and things like that, but here in the late twentieth century, it it still happens, and you're and you are you were pulled west. It did, yeah. I mean, uh, as long as I can remember, you know. I mean, I when I, it always strikes me as strange when I, you know, I meet people and young people and stuff who are like, well, I don't I don't know what to do with my life. I don't know where I want to be. I don't know what I want to work at. I go, man, you know, I've I've known those two things before I was even an adult, you know, I knew I was going to write and I knew I was going to live in Arizona. You know, it didn't, uh, I didn't take the most direct path to get to either, but I knew that was what I kept striving for was the, the idea of not knowing what you were going to do or where you want to live. is just so foreign to me. So, um, I, I just don't understand it at all, but I, you know, it, this was, yeah, this was where I was meant to be. And, it just uh, worked out that, you know, now I'm uh, for the last 13, 14 years where I've been a full time. Oh, gosh, no, the last uh, 16 years, I guess I've been a full time uh, Arizona travel writer. I mean, I still write for Bob and Tom uh, kind of keep my hand in uh, with them. And uh, but uh, all I've written in those uh, last a uh, decade and a half or more are, you know, Arizona travel stories and Arizona mm. travel books and guides and and all that stuff. I tell people where to hike and eat and what Jeep tours to take. And, you know, and I, I have all these adventures. I go kayaking and write about it. I take hot air balloon rides and write about it. I, you know, do all this uh, fun stuff and they pay me to write about it. It's pretty cool. I've, I've been in Arizona, well, once uh, on a plane, which didn't count. Uh, and I was in properly in Arizona. My wife and I were for about five minutes. We just drove across the Hoover Dam 
into Arizona. <laughs> so we could say we were in Arizona, <laughs> turn around again, cross that one off the list. But uh, yeah, it sounds like a, a, it'd be a fun place to visit. Um, uh, cause you know, she likes her mountains, of course. So are you still discovering new things about Arizona after all, all this time? Are there still little things you're like, you know, either, I don't know, little towns or, uh, histories or things like that about the state that are, that still surprise you? And yeah, there's always, always new things to learn and discover, but I mean, I've been rambling around the state for, you know, now we're coming up on 45 years and, uh, and, for the past 25 of those, you know, pretty much nonstop. So I know the state pretty well. Um, yeah, there's still, you know, it's a, I think people would be amazed at, you know, the diversity of the state. I mean, you know, we're the only state with one of the seven natural wonders of the world and, you know, contained within our borders where the, uh, we've got, uh, but, and people think of it as desert. Uh, and we certainly are that, I mean, you know, we've got the Sonoran desert. We're the only state, where, you know, you've got elements of all four uh, major American deserts here and stuff. But we're also a state of, uh, you know, with uh, incredible mountain ranges. We've got more mountain peaks and summits than any of the other mountain states. You know, sorry, Colorado, but we've got more. Um, we've got over uh, 20. We have 26 peaks that are above 10,000 feet. So it's just this incredible combination of kind of everything that you want here, you know, from the monoliths of Monument Valley to the Red Rocks of Sedona to the canyons of Grand, uh, the Grand Canyon to the uh, the southern deserts and the the rugged superstition mountains, the Chiricahua mountains. You know, when you go out there outside to play in Arizona, you're in the big leagues. This is just, you know, it's it's such incredible diversity that you know there are only a few days, only a handful of days out of the entire year that you can't find 70 degrees somewhere in Arizona. And to me, that's, you know, one of the great gifts, you know, cause, um, it, yeah, if, if you, you know, it, it, it's snowing in Flagstaff, which it was about, I live in a little town called Cottonwood. We're kind of near Sedona, kind of in the central portion of the state. So I can be in the mountains, uh, in just, uh, a matter of a, about a half an hour drive, or I can be in the desert in about a 45 minute drive. So, you know, you can, it's, that's nice. You know, you, whatever season you want to have, you can be having it kind of any time of year. It's not a, it's not a plane ride to escape winter or, or, uh, or to escape the summer heat or anything. It's just, you jump in your car and you drive for an hour and you're, you know, you're experiencing something completely different. So that's what I like about it. That diversity. I'll have to take a deeper dive on that for sure. One of these days. Yeah. Um, well, great. And I guess, yeah, of course, all your writings will be a great resource for that. And, um, so where can folks like find your stuff? I know you have a website, uh, yeah, com. If you go there, you can, uh, see all my books. You can order any of my books. Um, and, but you can also, uh, I've got a Twitter page and a Facebook page and they're both business pages there. There's no politics, no, uh, um, religion, no anything on them. They're just all dedicated to Arizona. It's just all about where I'm hiking, where I'm eating, uh, the things I'm discovering, links to my articles, links to, uh, 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 presentations I'm giving that that sort of thing. So it's all just prom again promoting Arizona. That's that's all I do. It's just I write about this place that I love and you know share uh, share my little discoveries. 
Cool. And you can you can find both of those on my website as well. Okay, great. Well, we've come to the portion of the show now where the guest gets to pick uh, the coupon code for our place, uh, either the Cincy Shirts website or the OldSchoolShirts.com website, or for the two uh, physical stores in town here. Uh, you get to pick a word or a phrase. It's of your choosing, and then people will use that for the next week until the next episode drops to take 20% off their entire order uh, on any of our platforms there. So what would you like that word or phrase to be? Well, it's got to be Arizona. There you go. Perfect. That's easy enough to remember, folks. All right. So, yeah, just use that uh, on uh, CincyShirts.com, OldSchoolShirts.com, or uh, go into our stores in Hyde Park or over the Rhine and and uh, check those out. You know, our sister site, um, Old School, we have a, a Phoenix page, of Arizona page. So, um, I don't know, maybe if you have a notion, you can send us... Uh, Seeing as you're kind of a uh, been there for 45 years, maybe let us know if we've missed anything. I'll I'll email you the link, and you can have a okay. look, and you can suggest some stuff right. to us. And you'll you'll get the idea of what we're up to, um, you know, as soon as you see it. But uh, well, thanks for taking the time today, Roger. Uh, I'm sure folks in Cincinnati, you know, uh, liked catching up with you today and finding out what you're up to, and that you're uh, happy, happy, healthy, and uh, living out in Arizona. Well, I appreciate it. It was great hearing from you. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I always have uh, fond memories of Cincinnati. I still have family living there. So uh, uh, back when I still was able to travel across the country before pandemic times, uh, you know, I still would make the uh, the trip back to uh, uh, to visit. And, you know, I, I certainly always have uh, have nice memories here. It's just that I I've, uh, found where I belonged and uh, landed. But it's uh, a pleasure to chat with uh, with all, with you and, and to uh, get the word out to all my uh, old friends uh, back there. Great. Terrific. Well, thanks again, Roger. My pleasure. Bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. Take care. Please. Roger Naylor. Didn't know which song to play as the playout song. I actually have two Arizona songs. There's the one, of course, by Mark Lindsay. Uh, but I thought this one by China Crisis a bit more fitting since it's actually uh, seems to be more about uh, the state of Arizona, whereas the uh, Mark Lindsay song is about a girl named Arizona. In any case, head to rogernaylor.com for all of your Roger Naylor needs. And uh, neat story, eh? I didn't really know the entire backstory because, like I said, I started writing for Gary right after Roger left and Doc had come back, so I didn't really know any of the background about uh, that or really... Uh, anything about Roger's time as a stand-up comedian in the city. I knew he knew a friend of mine, but that was really about it. So I, I knew him to say hello to, and that was about it. Now, if there's someone you'd like to hear on the podcast, say, someone you want us to catch up with, or someone you'd like to have back on the podcast because we didn't ask him uh, enough questions that you wanted the answers to, well, simply write us podcast at cincyshirts.com, put podcast guest on the subject line, and then uh, just tell us a little bit about the person you'd like us to have on or uh, why you'd like us to have them on again, as the case may be. Be sure to tell friends and loved ones about the show, including folks who may no longer live in the area but still feel connected to the tri-state. And if you haven't already, check out those Cincy Shirts podcast archives from baseball great Johnny Bench to actress Amy Yasback. There's now, what, 138 episodes back there? Today's show is produced by me with help from Josh and Darren. Our theme music is Cincinnati by Big Nothing. They are from Philadelphia. Find all of their music on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you get your music. Find vintage tees from great places like Philadelphia, Boston, Phoenix, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Louisville, Seattle, and more at OldSchoolShirts.com. Lots of defunct sports teams, old restaurants, bars, 
malls, things like that, even old video games. Uh, it's like Cincy shirts, but for those towns. And again, the promo code for this episode is Arizona. Simple as that. All lowercase, all uppercase, doesn't matter. You can even alternate if you like and be clever. Uh, use that to take 20% off your entire CincyShirts.com or OldSchoolShirts.com order. Follow our social channels, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat for the latest Cincy Shirts news. Tell your friends about the show. Give us a great review wherever you get the podcast from. And as always, download or stream us next time. Bye. I said goodbye.